everybody. Welcome to Rachel's Reviews and the Hidden Gems podcast. This is our very first podcast from 2021. So exciting. <laughs> and I'm film critic Rachel Wagner and Ryan is here. Uh, hey, Rachel. So great to be back with you for our first episode of 2021. It's we all made it and we uh, we all should be grateful because it's a new year full of Ooh. new possibilities, both good and bad. But I, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just happy to be here. I'm grateful to be here. And uh, here's to another, uh, here's to another year of this podcast going forward. Yeah. We, so we did two episodes that were live in a row. And so we'd love to have your thoughts about what you prefer, whether it's the live stream or this edited version. Uh, Let us know in the comments if you have any preferences Uh, But now we're back to doing our normal streaming uh, picks that we do. And this is the the idea behind this show is that we take a streaming service and we give you the hidden gems of that service. So these are not the obvious picks. These are a little bit deeper cuts uh, in the... uh, in the catalog of the streaming service that's the idea behind what we did what we do here and we started out with disney plus it was originally just going to be disney plus and then the pandemic kept going and so (laughs) we kept we kept expanding but today we are back with another episode of disney plus i think this is our eighth or ninth episode of disney plus and uh, there's a lot of fun stuff happening uh, coming up this in the next little bit on Disney Plus. So that's going to be fun. We have WandaVision coming up, and then uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and uh, you know just so many different things that they announced uh, at the investor meeting. And uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, Disney Plus is going to be, co- be is going to be becoming a very bustling place in the. Uh, in, in the near future with all the Marvel stuff, with all the Star Wars stuff they announced. It's like, good Lord, it, it was like, like watching the investor meeting, it was like, wow, <laughs> like how many shows are they, how many shows are they rattling off? It's gonna get into the triple digits eventually. Like they're planning stuff out to like 2030. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, they, I think they, they announced over a hundred different things at the investor panel different properties which is amazing yeah absolutely and uh and that whole um and with the announcement of hbo max and warner brothers doing their thing you know with their with their whole deal i i i think the chips may still be on the table for disney plus maybe doing the same thing again i take my tinfoil hat in extra large but i mean in the times we're mm-hmm. living in, that might be a possibility. Yeah, I could definitely see it for sure. Yeah, so it's a very interesting service. We we did our streaming service ranking last time for our New Year's live stream, which was a lot of fun. And Disney Plus won the episode and got the most points from us, the strongest, our favorite service of all the streaming services. And uh, I think it comes a long way on its curated catalog. I think we gave it a perfect score as far as that. And so that's what we're mostly gonna be talking about. I think all we're gonna be talking about is that is that group of 
of uh, previously released uh, classics uh, that we're going to talk about today. So we have five recommendations each and let's dive in. Let's start talking about it. So my first recommendation for Disney Plus is Fantasia 2000. Now Fantasia 2000 is definitely not as good as the original Fantasia, in my opinion at least. I think it feels much more lightweight <laughs> than the original Fantasia. The I hate all of the commentators in between and the jokes and it just doesn't have the gravitas of the original. Some people might prefer that because they think the original is a little too too solemn, too too much of a concert. But I love the the whole concert experience of of the original Fantasia. Nevertheless, even if it's not perfect, it still has some really beautiful sequences and some really fun sequences. And I mean, I certainly recommend watching it. Uh, I think the, uh, my favorite is the, uh, is when you get to see Sorcerer's Apprentice again, which I think was actually probably a little bit of a mistake because that just invites the comparison to the original. But uh, I, I like the, uh, oh shoot, what's it called? The um, uh, Ave Maria. No, that's in the original. I I I really like the Rites of Spring with the uh, I really like the Rites of Spring with the whales, and then I also really like the Rhapsody in Blue, which is about twenty minutes long. The Rhapsody in Blue, but I love the animation has that uh that uh, New Yorker uh, style of animation. Al Hirschfeld, I think was his name, was the comic uh, artist in the New Yorker. And it, so it has a really cool distinctive look to it. And I love that whole piece, Rhapsody in Blue, Gershwin Brothers, I think is really a great classical music piece. And, uh, but I, I mean, I think they're all enjoyable. And uh, I, I, and since you're watching at home, you can just fast forward all of the quippy interlude sex, sex sections and celebrity oaths, which don't do much for me personally. So I think it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I have uh, I have never seen this movie. I, I remember seeing the original Fantasia a very long time ago, but I do remember liking it. But I think mm -hmm. my main the main complaint that I've heard with Fantasia 2000 is that the celebrity cameos tend to get a bit, uh, tend to take a bit of the spotlight, uh, specifically from like Steve Martin and all of those. And I can't, I, I don't really see that because I like Steve Martin and most of the things that he is in, but even still, I, that's just the complaints that I. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I, I echo those complaints because it just makes the whole thing feel more like a TV special than like a, a serious concert kind of experience. I don't know. It just makes it feel lighter, which some people might enjoy because maybe they don't like the more, the more, uh, the, the more serious, I guess, uh, tone of the original uh, so I don't know, but for me, all the like cheesy puns and things like that, I, I could just do without all of that and, and just, just watch the segments, which is, uh, you know, you can do with your little fast forward. <laughs> yeah. I'm so. not, I'm not sure if any of you have ever heard of this, but originally Walt Disney wanted Fantasia to be like a recurring series that yeah. happened like 
every couple of years or so and mm-hmm. and fantasia was was a financial disappointment it made money but even still it was determined that it really wasn't worth the effort and i would have loved to have seen that because mm-hmm. disney really had really had a lot going for them in terms of filming nature specials and travel specials and i i thought i think fantasia would have been would have been an excellent vehicle to show off just the beauty of hand-drawn animation but you know we're looking at this yeah. 20, 2021 vision and we've got to consider that, that was made in like the late 40s early 50s and so money and yeah. box office was just considered to be far different back then so well and over the years they had a bunch of attempts to start a new fantasia and so we we got music-based shorts quite frequently from Disney, but this was the only time that they were officially kind of declared it Fantasia. Uh, and, and But we got things like the little match girl in, in the 90s. Uh, that was all music. Uh, there's uh, Peter and the Wolf uh, would be another one. You know, make, you have make my music, you have melody time, uh, some, other, uh, some other series of shorts. And it was just never able to kind of transition to something more than that in, in until this. And I would love, I mean, one of the nice things that, that we could possibly someday get with Disney plus is a new entry, official entry in Fantasia. I think that would be awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and with the benefit of streaming in that you don't have to really worry too much about box office receipts, you know, you can get mm-hmm. experimental with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Agreed. So what is your first pick? So my first pick is a move is a live action movie from 1993 and it is called Cool Runnings. Uh, this was directed by John Turtletop, who was very big in the late 80s and early 90s. He directed movies like While You Were Sleeping, which I believe Rachel you recommended a very long time ago, but also directed the both the National Treasure movies and recently The Meg, which people hate for some reason, but I have to shrug and say, it's a movie with Jason Statham and a gigantic shark. Were you expecting Shakespeare? But that's another story for another time. But Cool Runnings is based on the true story of the, of the first Jamaican bobsledding team. And uh, the movie starred John Candy, one of the greatest of all time, taken from us far too soon. Like, he was just such a funny man and from all accounts such a very nice man and in cool runnings he plays a very he plays a dishonored uh, bobsled coach who is basically living in jamaica because something happened in his past and he's trying to run away from it meanwhile these four jamaican runners uh, who are looking to go to the olympics end up failing they want to go to the olympics but they end up they end up all losing. So they try and form together to be like, we want to go to the Olympics, but we don't know what to do because all their sports include, well, running. And they've already been counted out of that. So they are like, hey, why not try bobsledding? And so they go to John Candy and John Candy is like, yeah, you don't have the time, you don't have the money and you don't have me. And so through a combination of things, they form a team and they eventually go to the Olympics and it's a Cinderella story, for lack of a better word. I remember watching this movie in uh, in like the last year of middle school. Uh, my 
one of my teachers was out sick and so we had like the choice of like the substitute teacher was like all right you want to watch this or cool runnings we all were like cool runnings and so we ended up watching that and i just and i really enjoyed it i thought it was a it was a lot of fun i liked the chemistry between all of the actors leon dougie doug and john candy of course it's a very familiar story it's the whole underdog team is looked down upon by the superior team but they end up winning the hearts and minds of everybody we all know where this is heading but the strength of the actors the jokes and just the action as a whole because the bob sud scenes are filmed really well i can't help but recommend this one yeah so i love cool runnings uh, there's definitely a favorite uh, of mine growing up i was so disappointed when i heard that like almost everything in it is not factual like almost every little detail about aside from the fact that there was a jamaican bobsled team that's about it uh, oh, and well, i you don't go to these movies for a history lesson i understand that but like just to the extent that it was not true was kind of disappointing for me but i still really enjoy it and it's super cute <laughs> well, it's the thought that counts. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's an, it's a really fun ensemble, very charming. You have the, yeah, Dougie Doug with his egg. <laughs> and of course the grumpy, the grumpy one uh, that <laughs> finally gets one over. And uh, yeah, John Candy, so good. It's just, it's really enjoyable. Yeah, one more note before we do move on. There is a character in this movie named Yul Brenner, and I just think that's amazing. <laughs> like, I, 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 wish, I wish other characters would have been named like Steve McQueen or Charles Bronson, and they, and they could have made like, John Candy would have been like, oh, look, I'm coaching the Magnificent Seven or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. So my next pick is also another sports movie from Disney. And this is Eddie the Eagle. And this one, I would say that it's a little bit more mature content. So like, I wouldn't watch this with like little kids. Um, it's PG-13, I believe. Um, but uh, it's really good about Eddie Edwards that uh, had his dream to be a ski jumper. And uh, he's just like, <laughs> he's, the worst at it, but uh, that that you have him just fighting and fighting to be able to participate in the Olympics. Like he wants to be in the Olympics, kind of similar in a way to Cool Runnings, I think. Kind of the same sort of you're rooting for the, as opposed to watching a movie where you know the person is going to win, you're rooting for them just to be able to participate. So, and Taron Edgerton, Hugh Jackman as his coach, you know it's a great cast charming and so i think it's a, a fun little fun little movie i would say it's a little underrated yeah fun fact this this and cool runnings take place at the same olympics the 1988, oh, yeah. <laughs> the 1988 olympics at calgary I, and when i i remember seeing the movie i'm like wow and and when i and when i learned about that i'm like it would be so funny if Eddie ran into some some of the Jamaicans there and be like, "Hey guys, you know, that that would have been nice." Yeah, that would have been cool. That's nice true. But yeah, I remember seeing this movie and I do remember enjoying it. I especially, 
I especially enjoy it now because Taron Edgerton has gone on to do pretty solid things with Rocket Man and, and the Kingsman movies and Hugh Jackman. We all know who he is. Watch our best and worst of Hugh Jackman, by the by. Uh, and uh, Christopher Walken was his uh, was Hugh Jackman's ski coach, and that's just amazing. My favorite my favorite scene in the movie is actually in the trailer when Eddie is like hit rock bottom, and I believe it's his father or stepfather who has just been like against this dream from the very beginning. Just finally is like just breaks down, and he is like, "I believed in you, but they didn't. Nobody wants you." And and he, and Eddie's like, "Tell me something I don't know." It's clearly trailer fodder, but wow, it is also very effective. And yeah, and I think and I think Dexter Fletcher, I quick side road uh, in terms of rocket man i was like okay this is very much you know like this is of this like the same cloth but the more i think about it the more it does improve and and i think with dexter fletcher he's kind of like gavin o'connor for me he takes familiar stuff but gives it a new twist and makes it at least relatable and so mm -hmm. that's something that i do appreciate yeah he's one of those directors that can take a formula and and execute it well and make it entertaining mm -hmm. and that's not easy to do it definitely is not and i think this was entertaining too just because it, ski jumping is always one of those sports where i'm just like how do you not die like <laughs> i mean because because most of the time you you're gonna like fall a lot like in any sport you mess up a lot but like most sports you're not coming down from two stories <laughs> when is, you fall <laughs> it's, a, it's a very thin margin for margin for error but it yeah. it, it takes a lot of practice like so. how do you train for that though you know because it's not like you can kind of make it on a when you're jumping from two like two stories i don't know that i used that to, was i used to watch the x games and the winter winter x games every year and i was just consistently you know floored by by how those men and women were just they were yeah, able like to how do, do you not stuff. die they were able to do this stuff like the moguls these little bumps and they're like do 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 and i'm like how do you do that? Do you just find one of those like ball things and be like jump for the round and the thing, or like Sean or like Sean White who's there on the half pipe and he's going around and like, and he must have fallen down so many times to be able to get the, as many perfect tens as he did. Yeah, but at least that's like a normal height. This is like not even what I say. I didn't. Why well, I don't know why I said two stories. It's like twelve stories. It's way high. <laughs> like i don't know i just think that's really funny but like like just keep this form all right now what else right <laughs> there's a there's a funny seinfeld bit that he does about that about the winter olympics and he's like most of these sports it's just like please don't die please don't die please don't die, don't die. yeah that's that's definitely a jerry seinfeld <laughs> and he says the that the, they should have the involuntary skeleton <laughs> just take somebody <laughs> off the street stick in the uh, but but what is your next pick so my next pick uh list disappeared on me i'll make an edit here so my next pick is a bit of an older movie it's from 1959 and it is the original journey to the center of the earth 
we all we all know the Journey to the Center of the Earth book written by Jules Verne, and maybe some of you might know the Journey to the Center Journey to the Center of the Earth movie, which starred Brendan Fraser back in 2008. I'm talking about the original from the late 50s. Okay, I wasn't sure which one you were picking. Uh, I don't know which one's on Disney Plus. <laughs> the Fraser one's not on there. I checked. Oh, okay. But um, but this is yet another one of this is yet another one of the late 50s movies that is surprisingly really good and a lot of effort is put forth but has become very obscure and i can see why because oh i'll be upfront and say there's some animatronics that don't age all that well but just i recommend it just for the sake of the sheer just for the sheer scope and the size of the whole matter it's like it's like watching the golden voyage of Sinbad for the first time. You can clearly see like, oh, this is clearly where they did the stop motion parts, but just the ingenuity of, of what was put into the creatures and the, and the designs and, and mm -hmm. especially journey to the center of the earth, making the center of the earth look as beautiful as it was, took a lot of time and elbow grease. And it's something that has become a bit of a lost art. And so that's, yeah, I think there's a certain degree of charm to the the special effects and visual effects of those kinds of films from the 1950s. I I I don't know. I yeah, they look a little hokey, but I think that's kind of also part of the charm of it. Right. And in terms of the story of the movie, well, if you've read the book then you know the story. It's about a professor and his assistant who one day decide, "You know what? Let's try and find the center of the earth." And so they find themselves, they find what they appear to be the passage to the center of the earth and they go and they go down there and they encounter creatures and of course they encounter an evil man of business who's trying to find the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the, probably the biggest actor in the movie is James Mason who had a long and lengthy career. He was Philip Van Damme, the villain in North by Northwest and like he's been in too many other movies to mention. He was Captain Nemo in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which I recommended in like the first or second one of these episodes. And I think is very underrated. Like he, he smokes, uh, he smokes seaweed cigars. Like that's a real man right there, but side road. I reckon, I recommend this movie just, it, it's, it's like a, it's like a time capsule of film techniques that have become lost to history. Yeah. I think that would be, I've never seen it, but it looks fun. I think I'd enjoy it. That that seems like a really good pick. All right. Well, my next pick is another Disney animated classic and it is Oliver and Company. And this movie is flawed. <laughs> it's not perfect, but I still think it's worth watching. If anything, just for the Billy Joel and Bette Midler uh, song sections that they do are very catchy and very well animated. And I, I, I think it's a terrible adaptation of Oliver Twist, even with animals, it's really bad. And why, why they decided to change Fagin, I have no idea. Uh, but it, it's still, it's got, uh, the, the music sections in general are, are enjoyable enough. Plus you get to see at the end, the whole scene on the subway is the, basically the first time they ever used the cap system at Disney. And so it's pretty neat to see you know, what then would happen later on with the, 
uh, with the Disney Renaissance and then with Pixar and with everything like that as uh, to see the, the kind of beginning of those CGI animation. It's pretty fun. So again, has its flaws, but Oliver's awfully cute and it's worth watching, I would say. Yeah, I've, I saw this movie a very long time ago. It has been a minute, but my remember, my remembering, my memory of, the, of this movie is really in like video essays on YouTube about the, the dark ages of Disney, that weird period through the mm-hmm. mid to late 80s where Don Bluth left Disney and made American Tale and Land Before Time and Secret of Nim and Disney was just kind of falling apart of the scenes and they, they had lost their way. And so after doing just a lot of crazy movies, they settled into doing stuff like Oliver and company just to like say, okay, we've got new management in place. Now we can go from here. And I think maybe a year or two after Oliver and company, they started, you know, the lauded Renaissance period where they just churned out nothing but classics throughout the 90s and into like 2002 or three, you know, this was the Little Mermaid, yeah. the Lion Kings, and I could go on. So Little Mermaid would be next. And also the opening song is the first time that Howard Ashman and Alan Menken wrote anything for the for the Disney company. So that's kind of fun too. And so is is a little bit of a testing ground for a lot of a lot of different talent that then would come and, and make the Disney Renaissance what it is. I mean, 1980 is a very weird year for animation because you had you had uh, a very eclectic mixture of movies like Who Framed Roger Rabbit and My Neighbor Totoro, and and this is not on that level by any means. Uh, you also had one of the first Pixar films, short films, to come out called Tin Toy. Uh, that year so it was, an, it was a very interesting year for animation uh, but uh, but you know it's worth uh, it's worth checking out some of these these films just uh, you can see oh that's kind of where I was starting and there's nice little nuggets in there like I said pretty much the musical sequences I think are the strong part of of the film so I think I think you could see like 88 is like a bit of a crossroads where it's like all of these things are either like coming to an end or actually beginning. Mm-hmm. So Pixar was just about to get started. Ghibli was hitting their stride. Uh, Walt Disney Animation, like the main line, was out of a dark age and was about to start their golden period for a while. It was like yeah. you could see 88 is like a fulcrum yeah. point to where... And- everything just takes off. Yeah, and The Land Before Time that came out, that I think it came out the same day as Oliver and Company, if I'm not mistaken. So- yeah, it, I would love to be a theater employee <laughs> that day. Yeah. You like, be like, I wanna go see that one. It pulled out. Oh, we gotta go to the other A lot of crying kids probably with those movies. As someone who worked in the theater for over three years, oh. I, I have some some war stories. I, I mean, I enjoy Land Before Time, but I have to say, I don't know if it holds up super, super well as people think, just because, man, they lay on, the particularly the narration is so heavy-handed in that movie. I mean, they they don't just let you appreciate 
what is happening in the story they have to have this narration like littlefoot saw his mother and what is it you know like i'm like i get it i understand is, is the ending as sad as people make it out to be it is sad but it's it's kind of i'm not gonna say it's ruined by the narration but it doesn't help that there's this just this really corny narration basically telling you what's going on you're like yeah i understand you know and, and littlefoot he, when he stepped in to the promised land of milk and honey or whatever i don't know what it is <laughs> but it's very over the top this narration uh, when i watched it for family movie night i was like oh, that wasn't as good as i remember <laughs> so yeah what are you gonna do all right well what's your next pick so my next pick is a movie that I want to say has gone under the radar, not totally forgotten, but it's just, I think people have slowly just kind of disregarded this one. And I think it's a shame because I think it was one of my sleeper favorites of 2014. It was a pretty loaded year for movies and it's called mm -hmm. Big Hero 6. I don't know anyone who doesn't like this movie. However, in, in terms of talking about like modern Disney, like in like the 2010s till now, it's like, oh, talk about this, 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 and like Big Hero 6 is like off in the background. And I'm like, uh, do we all just collectively forget about this movie? Because it's actually quite good. Uh, it tells the story of a, uh, it tells the story of a boy named Hero, kind of subtle, but, <laughs> but he creates this technology which ends up getting stolen. And his brother, created a robot named Baymax. Hi, I'm Baymax. And, yeah. and Hero and Baymax quickly form a friendship and Hero meets up with other, uh, his fellow students and they form a super team. And uh, they take on, uh, and they take on the villain who's voiced by James Cromwell, who, uh, who has basically microbots at, at his beck and call. Uh, I really do enjoy this movie. I think it's got a really good story and a good message. It's very funny at times. Baymax is, ab is an absolute delight. I love the world that, I, I love the world of San Francisco. It, it, when it comes to like blended cities, it can be a little distracting at times, but in Big Hero 6, the mixing of the Asian and the American stuff, I think really does work. The, uh, the Asian themed Golden Gate Bridge and uh, and like the Asian themed Coit Tower. It, I thought it was all very well done. And the ending, wow, the ending is just, it's, it, it is intense stuff. And, and, and in like Baymax's final moments where he's like, are you satisfied with your care? And Hero's like, no, I don't wanna go. And Baymax is like, are you satisfied with your care? And Hero is like, yes. And Baymax just lets go. It's like, Oh my God, I'm in a glass case of emotion. So yeah, I, I think this movie is, I think if it, were, if it were to come out in literally any other year than 2014, it would be talked about more because consider 2014, we got Captain America Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, you know, Nightcrawler, a Whiplash, and that's just some I can name off the top of my head. But I, I think if Big Hero 6 had come out in like 2013 or 15, people would be, be putting it on the short list for best animated movie of the decade, or at least in the top five. 
And that's my stance on it. Well, I feel like this movie got a little bit of backlash because it won the Oscar that year. And I, I, the people thought that it shouldn't have won over How to Train Your Dragon 2. I mean, the Lego movie wasn't even nominated, which is absolutely outrageous. Uh, but uh, the Song of the Sea was nominated, so I, I you know, which is a movie I adore and love. Uh, and, but I probably wouldn't have nominated the, um, the Leica movie that year, The Box Trolls, even though I do enjoy it. I think that uh, Lego movie certainly better than that. Uh, but anyway, there were a lot of movies that were really good in the animated category that year. And so when it won best animated film, Big Horse Six, it was kind of, uh, at least the animation community was, was sort of felt like, oh, well, this is overrated and it's just Disney winning everything. And I get that, but I still really like the film. I mean, Baymax, get out of here with Baymax. Mm -hmm. He is so cute. I mean, doesn't everybody want their own Baymax? I know I do. And I loved the relationship between the two brothers. Uh, it is very predictable, you know, like what is going to happen. And and also the villain reveal is very predictable because we've seen that now from Disney a billion times. And <laughs> I miss the day when we just had an evil villain. <laughs> a, straight, a straight up unabashed villain. Someone, yeah, from uh, someone Disney. Gets, someone gets Skeletor on the phone. Yes. I mean, it, we had it for so many for so long. And with... Uh, you know, with, of course, with Scar and Ursula and Maleficent and just great villains, Cruella de Vil. She wants to kill puppies, for goodness sakes. Like, to make a coat. <laughs> make a coat. I miss that kind of villain. I miss it. I miss it. I miss it. And it's really been since, um, uh, since Facilier, I think. I'm trying to think if there's been any Disney animation, any, like, true villains uh, since, uh, since him. Mother, I don't know. I mean, I guess Mother or, Gothel. I was going to say Mother Gothel from Tiny. Yeah, Mother Gothel. But that's been over 10 years. So we need villains. So I understand. That was very predictable. But I still just love Baymax so much. I love the moment when he, uh, when he, when Hero says, Tadeshi is here. Tadeshi is gone. And Baymax says, he is here. And that whole scene is so moving and lovely. And uh, after they had such a successful film about two sisters with Frozen, it's nice for them to come and now do this movie about two brothers, which I you know, really enjoyed. I also agree with you about San Francisco. I thought that was very creative. And Disney doesn't have very many films in, in like an urban environment. Uh, most of theirs are kind of in the country or in some kind of fantasy type environment. Uh, so, I mean, Oliver and Company is one of the only other ones that is actually in, in 101 Dalmatians for part of it, at least. And so it's kind of refreshing to see sort of more urban environment for Big Hero 6. I, I just, I really, really enjoy it. So uh, I, I agree with you. It was, a, it was a very good year, 2014, for superhero movies, but then also a very good year for animation, <laughs> 2014. So you did there we good. go. You did a good job. Have a lollipop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, my next pick is called Because of Win Dixie. And this is a sweet little movie uh, about a little girl who uh, has lost her mother. 
her mother just literally left and and so she just has her dad and they uh, they live in a small town in florida and one day she ends up uh, finding this dog in the middle of the winn dixie which is the supermarket uh, there at the time and uh, and she she kind of adopts the dog and it's just it's just a simple little movie about her and her friends that she makes along the way it's kind of similar to pollyanna like that uh cicely tyson is in it eva marie saint is in it dave matthews is in it randomly <laughs> um jeff daniels plays her dad it's it's a sweet little movie anna sophia robb is the little girl and uh yeah i think it would be a great one to watch with the family and uh especially if you like dogs if you're a dog person it's a it's a fun little movie yeah, and even though I'm a, I'm a cat person, I still do enjoy this movie a lot. This was directed by Wayne Wong, who actually directed Last Holiday. And I believe, Rachel, you recommended that one a long time ago. Last Holiday. Oh, with oh yeah, I love that. And, uh, and she goes to the hotel after she learns she's dying. Mm-hmm. Love that. I love recently that just rewatched that. Love that movie to pieces. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I remember watching this movie a few times when I was younger. I think my I think my favorite scene in the movie is when Anna Sophia Robb can't sleep, and so she and her father Jeff Daniels have the talk about well, what's ten things that you remember that you remember about mom? And I remember this one part sticks out to me all the time. And when uh, when he's when he says she couldn't cook, she burned everything, including water. And literally the entire time I was like, how? in the world do you burn water like I, I i need to know that now someone enlist the mythbusters to do that <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> and i guess if you burn water it's probably more like you let it go till it's till there is no water and then it's more like burning the pan <laughs> at a certain point but uh but yeah very sweet and uh, the book i love as well uh by uh, Kate Camillo. It's a, a lovely little book. So what is your next pick? So my next pick is from, is from 2015, which is the year after Big Hero 6. And, uh, and it's called The Good Dinosaur. Uh, when I did my Pixar rankings, just a cheap plug, go check that out on my channel. Uh, I, I, wa- I rewatched The Good Dinosaur just to, you know, check my feelings on it. And my feelings on the movie have remained the same because there are some people that just outright hate this movie and I never understood why. It's on the lower rung of Pixar. I'm not going to say that it's some misunderstood piece of genius because it I don't really think it is. And it especially is overshadowed by Pixar who has a pretty like loaded rogues gallery. But mm-hmm. ever since I saw this movie in 2015, I've always enjoyed it at least at least from a story perspective, because for me, I think it's a really good story. It's the story of a dinosaur named Arlo who is trying to find his way and feels really self-conscious about himself, but then he gets separated from his family. And so he and this wild, I want to say Neanderthal boy become friends and they have to find their way home together. And they come across uh, all sorts of creatures and trees and birds, and they encounter Sam Sam Elliott as a dinosaur, 
Like, this movie should have been beloved just by making that casting choice alone. The Stranger from Big Lebowski as a dinosaur. Why isn't that a license to print money? I refuse to guess, but I, I've just never understood why people disliked this movie. I mean, I, I feel like this movie got a raw deal, especially in 2015, because a little movie called Inside Out came out, the, came out that same year, and we all know what Inside Out is. So I, I think if The Good Dinosaur had literally come out like a year afterwards or two years after, I think it would have been treated a little better. But I don't know. I recommend it because I, I, think, it's, I think it's a good Pixar movie. And, and I, apparently, according to Pixar logic, good equals bad. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you about The Good Dinosaur. I've always been a kind of a defender of it. I think that it it obviously it does have its flaws but i think it's a sweet little movie i i feel like i keep saying that for all these movies today but it's just there are a lot of sweet little movies today but i i really like arlo and spot i think their relationship is really nice and i think the animation is beautiful and i think that it has poignant parts it has funny parts i don't know i just enjoy it i it's been a while since i've seen it but uh, I, I, I do feel like it's definitely an underrated in a Disney film, Disney Pixar film for sure. And it's hard because it came out the same year as Inside Out, which was so beloved. And uh, I don't know. I, I, think, uh, I think it's good. I like it. So I'm glad you picked it. All right. Well, my last pick is the documentary Jane. And this documentary, it goes back and tells the story of Jane Goodall. And it does it in a very uh, easy to watch way. This is not like a boring documentary. You get tons of footage of her when she was younger and that she wasn't like college educated. She wasn't like a sophisticated scientist and everything, but uh, she she just had such a bond with the, with the animals and her relationship with the animals and also just kind of her fighting for respect uh, from the scientific community as a woman. I, I think it would be a really good one to, uh, to watch as a family and to talk about. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed it very much. Yeah. Jane Goodall is someone who I've, I've heard a lot about, and I, I'd like to read at least a book or something about her, but I, I mean, I mm -hmm. guess this is, this documentary sounds like a good place to start, and yeah. judging from her, from her biography, it's further proof that you don't have to go to college to, to make yourself into something. I mean, I mean, it's nice, sure, but I've learned more outside of college than in it, so, yeah. and, and I have a sweet job because, I mean, partially because of it, but also because of my experience. And right. Jane Goodall proves anything. And I'm not trying to compare myself to her because like she's here and I'm like way over there. <laughs> but it, if Jane Goodall proves anything, it's that you don't really, you can learn skills like through life and apply that to something you love. And that can bring you, that can bring you great, wisdom and that was botched philosophy with ryan cam ladies and yeah. gentlemen no i i agree i i mean nobody loved college more than me i had a great experience but i still Glad you uh, liked it <laughs> i did have a great experience but 
I, I still don't think it is essential. And I think that, uh, that as far as like usable skills, I didn't get much. It was more a social, social experience that was positive for, in my situation. But, uh, but I certainly don't think it's going, it's worth going into mountains of debt for, but that's another conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Jane, I, she's just an incredible person. And, uh, I think this is a really good documentary and would be a good one to watch with your family. So what is your final pick? So my final pick is the Robin Hood animation from 1973. And mm-hmm. one of, I believe on our first HBO Max episode, I recommended the adventures of Robin Hood from 1938, which started Earl Flynn. And I still maintain that that is the best Robin Hood movie ever made. However, this animated movie is a close second in my opinion. Uh, it's, got, it's got a lot of funny jokes in it. It sticks relatively close to the Robin Hood legend, so you don't have to be too intimate with it to get everything. I like the chemistry between, uh, between Robin and the Maid Marian. I thought that was really nice. And I also like the opening song, you know, Robin Hood and Little John walking through the forest, laughing back and forth at what the unnecessary. Like, that's such a cool song. And the opening sequence where, where, the, uh, where Robin and, uh, and, and Little John, my brain, Little John uh, portray like the princes and they, they're like, print, and they go after Prince John and they steal all of his, like, all of his rubies and stuff. And only no. the, only the snake sees it and he's like your highness you gotta shut up and slaps the snake it's, it's you little rascal where are you <laughs> it, it's such it's such an underrated uh, it's such an underrated opening sequence and it really it, it it can only really be taken seriously in an in an animation so so there that is yeah, the Peter Ustinov is the best in that movie. He's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> you you eel in snake's clothing. <laughs> I love that movie. Those are like the same thing. <laughs> yeah. um, I uh, <laughs> I love. The I love Robin Hood. I I have a hard time being objective about it. It's one I have a huge bunch of nostalgia for because it was one of my dad's favorites. Is Robin Hood? Robin Hood and Jungle Book are my dad's favorite Disney movies, and so I have a lot of nostalgia watching them. And I understand the animation isn't the best in this, and that it has its flaws. I do think it kind of there's like a stark change in tone in the third act where everything's been super silly and like, I mean, pies and faces and things like that. And then all of a sudden it's like, like Robin Hood (laughs) jailbreak and all of a sudden it becomes deadly serious. Yeah. So that's kind of like, Ooh, uh, but I still just love this movie. I think it's so fun. And, uh, I, 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 yeah, I highly recommend people check it out. It'll be fun. Once we actually get to go talking Disney on Robin Hood and it'll be coming up soon. We're, we're on our last 12 classics uh, to, to do for Talking Disney, me and Stanford. So we haven't done Robin Hood yet, but it'll come up, it'll come up sometime this year. That's for sure. So anyway, all right. Well, very good. We did it. 
<laughs> we got our recommendations for Disney Plus. So let us know what you have been watching on Disney Plus. We would love to hear your thoughts and what you think about any of the movies that we talked about. That would be really fun. And put it in the comment section or on Twitter. We'd love to talk to you about it. And Ryan, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at RyanCam20. Then there is my YouTube channel, which is just called Ryan Cam. Uh, I'd like to say thank you for everyone for an epic 2020 over on my channel. It was the best year that I've I've had on YouTube, and it's and it's a lot of it has to do with all of you watching. So thank you very much. Uh, we're recording this on a Monday, which means my episode my the first AFI project video for 2021 on MASH dropped today, so go check that out. On Wednesday, I'll be talking about the Hitchcock classic, North by Northwest. And then on this coming Sunday, I'm going to be reviewing every single Michael Bay Transformers movie. Your pity is greatly appreciated. Thank you. But uh, a lot of content coming, coming to the channel, so please be sure to check that out if you haven't. Wow, every <laughs> every Transformers movie. It's <sighs> it's like walking through quicksand, but I'm but I've rewatched <laughs> I thought I'm, I was a glutton for punishment doing all the Pirates movies in the fall. <laughs> you should wait until and see what I have for February. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, that will be fun. I'll look forward to that. And uh, so, yeah, uh, you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Round Tomatoes. So check that out. Also at the Hallmarkies podcast, we have a really fun interview this week with writer Riley Weston. And I think anybody, even if you don't watch Hallmark movies, you'll enjoy the interview. She's a lot of fun and uh, it's just she has a kind of a crazy life. So uh, it, it was a good one. So check that out over there at Hallmarkies Podcast and let us know if there's any services or uh, streaming uh, movies that you would like us to check out. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. And uh, we have our patron group, which is a lot of fun. We have watch alongs and other benefits. And then we also have our merch store. So check that out. And thanks so much. And we'll talk to you all next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.